Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, October 16th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 45 in the second paragraph. Today's readers are Kathy Kay, Eddie, W.W., and Marsha. The reference number for Monday, October 15th is 3172. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each purpose has I'm sorry, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tim to read the 12 steps. Thank you. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to all, out, all compulsive web readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. I will now ask Rosanna to read the 12 traditions. Okay, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, 
The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group or never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Rosanna. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, please let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 45, the second full paragraph, starting with, well, that's exactly what this book is about. I will ask Kathy Kay to begin reading, please. Thank you, Christy. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Um, that means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, that we, will, we are going to talk about God. Here, difficulty arises with agnostics. Many times we talk to a new man and watch his hope rise as we discuss his alcoholic problems and explain our fellowship. But his face, fall, his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters, especially when we mention God, for we have reopened a subject which our man thought he had nearly evaded or entirely ignored. My name is Kathy. I'm a compulsive overeater and grateful to be here today. And I will comment just briefly on um, 
the sentence, his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters, especially when we mention God. I can remember, uh, we're talking 18 years ago when I first came into the 12-step rooms, and I do remember so clearly uh, being very excited about what I was hearing except for the God part, um, which I didn't think I could relate to at all. And it was only by listening to others share about the process that they had been through and and in many cases had started without a God in their life that I was willing to keep coming back. Um, and I'm so grateful for today. I do have a higher power, and um, it continues to grow as I study this book. And I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. Good morning, it's Leah. Leah, go ahead. Yes, thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, <clears throat> this statement here, its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Again, the big book is not saying uh, that will help me solve my problem. It says it will solve my problem. Um, and this book is designed, you know, as, as each one of us turns the pages uh, through the first 164 to bring about a, an experience, you know, to transform my mind. That's what, the, that's what the program of recovery does. It transforms my mind um, because it's been made very, very clear that, um, you know, food and weight are not my problem. My greater aspect of my disease resides in my mind. And, you know, in looking at this last sentence here in the paragraph, but his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters, especially when we mention God, for we have reopened a subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored. Um, this chapter, we agnostics, and agnostics means we without knowledge, was written to help me open up my mind, you know, because... I can't stay uh, abstinent on my own willpower. I can't recover on my own willpower. The reason why I can't stay abstinent and recover on my own willpower is because the obsession of the mind is stronger than my will. There's, there's only one thing that's going to be stronger than the obsession of my mind, and that's he who created it. And, you know, this is speaking about someone who has some prejudice, some, some um, you know, some disbelief in the, in the whole uh, subject matter. And this chapter is helping a person like me, when I came in, open up my mind. You know, the program says that we're going to cast aside old ideas and old emotions and old thinking and old attitudes to be dominated by new ideas, new attitudes, new emotions. And, uh, you know, that's getting, that work is getting started right now. That work is getting started right here because they're asking me to cast aside my old ideas that I know better, that I can play God, be God, you know, that I can make decisions 
um, you know, stand on my two feet, run my own show, rule my own destiny, never turn to God. They're asking me to cast aside that idea because that is not working. It's very clear as this disease pummeled me into the ground that that was not working. So this big book is telling me, cast aside that old idea, let's try some new ones. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, I'm Karen. I'm a compulsive overeater. Yeah, and, Karen, go um, ahead. I came in late. I was just wondering if you could tell me what paragraph and page we are on, please. Sure. sure. We're on page 45, and we're in the um, or on the second full paragraph that starts with, "Well, that's exactly what this book is about." Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Can I Hi, share? This is Sylvia. Um, I heard someone say, can I share, and then Sylvia, who? Susan. Yep, Susan, go ahead, and then Sylvia. Okay, hi. Good morning. This is Susan in Florida. Good morning. Vision for you. You know, I share this many times that my, my heart is pounding. When I came into the room 35 years ago, I'm sorry to say that there was nobody to teach me this program. I had to learn it. I had to hunt and peck, and I had to stick around the rooms for 35 years for somebody to open this book for me and bring this book to life. And I am so excited that I don't have to die knowing that there is a solution, and that solution is God. Like somebody just said, um, will prove to yourself, will solve my problems. I, and then it says down there, going to talk about God. For the first time in my entire life, and I'm 62 years old, I have a God of my understanding. I'm understanding now, as it's been said, that there is something I can rely on other than my own self-will, because God only knows that I have gotten myself into so much trouble. And it says, well, we have reopened the subject. Well, the subject was never open for me. I never grew up in a quote-unquote religious house. I never went to synagogue religiously. I went for a little while to Sunday school. But this is this is so eye-opening to me. I sit here every morning in awe. I just, I keep thinking to myself, where have I been? Where have I been? I'm so grateful to be here now. I'm so grateful to have this knowledge. And I'm so grateful to, that my eyes and my ears are open to there is a solution. And that is God. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Susan. Sylvia, go ahead. Hi, this is Sylvia. I'm a recovered compulsive eater and so glad that all of you are here this morning and um, opening this book up uh, in a way that I am just so grateful I've shared it with so many. Um, so when when I get to this chapter and this paragraph, I'm reminded of when I came in. And, I, you know, I feel grateful about how I came in. I came in so desperate that... Um, I had never taken instructions my entire life. I was in charge my entire life. But when I came in, I was broken. I knew that I was hopeless, and I didn't know what to do. And so when people started to talk about God, I didn't come in with a God of my understanding. I had not been raised with religion at all. And uh, I just decided I was desperate enough. I was just going to do whatever they told me, and thank God for that. And so early on, uh, when I discovered, it was in within the first couple of weeks, and they were talking about God in, in a face-to-face meeting, 
that um, when I realized that I was not in charge, that I was not in control, it was the biggest relief of my life. Not that I don't struggle with it still, but it, I thought I was in charge. I thought I w- it was up to me to make sure that my children were safe, that my husband was you know, doing what he needed to do and you know, everybody at work, and I just really thought that it was my responsibility. And when I could learn that it was not, that I just had to get up, suit up, and do my best every day, you know, and have this contact with a power greater than myself, be be open to guidance. I could relax for the first time in my life, and um, and so for me, I mean, it was so simple to to just look at when someone pointed out, you know, did you make the tides rise? Did you did you make that tree grow? Yeah, no, I didn't. I could start looking around at the world and look at all the things I was not in charge of. And that continues on all the time. When I start to uh, start to, you know, think that in some way or act like I'm in control, I just look. Am I am I in charge of that person? No, I am not. That that person has a God, and I have one, and I can just be guided. And so I'm so grateful that I was that when I came in, I was willing to accept this and uh, and be and have my eyes open to this. And while I don't do it perfectly, I am still so grateful to know. Because I was making a mess of things. It, thank goodness I wasn't in charge. I was not making anybody's life better, including my own. And uh, so I'm very grateful to have this book in this chapter. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvia. Well, I'm Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And just uh, just so you know a little bit about me, um, you know, I also like this line here that says, but his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters. You know, just, just so you know a little bit about me, my face fell, my face fell um, pretty much whenever I was presented with ideas that weren't my own. You know, whenever I was presented with ideas that weren't mine. And, you know, when I first came to OA in 1994, I weighed 340 pounds. You know, I, I was the chief critic of this program. I was the chief critic and I was the chief editor of this book. You know, I didn't like that um, it seemed like the word God was every other word. I didn't like that um, they used male pronouns all over this book. You know, there were lots of things I didn't ask. You know, why do they do that? Why do they, why, why do they say God? Why do they say God if it's, you know, my own understanding? Why does it, why is everything about men in this book? Aren't there any women in recovery? And, you know, I didn't ask myself why I weighed 340 pounds. I wasn't, you know, quite yet open to doing that. But, um, you know, I, I really was so distrustful. I did not believe that the people in the rooms just wanted to help me. I I thought that what they wanted was for me to believe in a God of their understanding. And, um, you know, I've rejected religion and all kinds of things, spiritual, years and years before that. And, um, you know, for me, it wasn't until 2001 that I got you know, as desperate as I needed to be to have my mind open just a little bit, just a crack, just a sliver to say, Christy, maybe, maybe your best thinking isn't going to help you. Maybe the best thing you could come up with is, um, you know, despair and bewilderment and um, the horrors of an imprisonment of addiction, because that's where I was, you know, I had lost weight and I had gained it back and I weighed 300 pounds once again. And, you know, it's that desperation that cracked my mind open to the idea that maybe, maybe 
someone else could help me. And what that meant was that I'd have to follow what they did. You know, if I wanted what they had, I needed to follow what they had done. And, um, you know, opening up my mind to possibilities was all I had to do. Opening up my mind to the idea that I could not solve my problem, that anything, anyone could do better than I had done, that was all I needed. That was all I needed. You know, put the food down, Christy, and let the steps take you. I mean, um, and I'm so grateful that I got to that point. It's different for everybody. That's what it was for me. You know, I'd just, you know, swirl around for a good seven years before I finally got desperate enough to just crack my mind open a little bit. And, um, you know, I lost those years. (laughs) I lost those years. And I'm just grateful to have gotten some of my life back in recovery. And with that, I will pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Hi, this is Melanie. May I share? Sure, Melanie. Go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Thanks for your service. My name is Melanie, and I'm a compulsive overeater uh, living here in Minnesota. And I go back to Chapter 1, and I believe in my heart that this re- uh, relates into this. Um, and it says here on the page, bottom of page 10, uh, the last paragraph, with ministers and the world's religions, I parted right there. When they talked of a God personal to me, who was love, superhuman strength, and direction, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. Page 11, to Christ I conceded the certainty of a great man, not too closely followed by those who claimed him, his moral teachings most excellent. For myself, I had adopted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult. The rest I disregarded. Um, my story, my story right there, and I um, then go to page 45 and I read, and it means, of course, you were going to talk about God. And I had conveniently told myself and admitted and agreed and was convinced that I could navigate this life without God. I had tried it and um, certainly found it completely wanting and too difficult, couldn't understand it. And then right here from chapter one to chapter four, they're telling me that the rest of this deal is dependent upon that. I can't tell you the number of times I've gone to face-to-face meetings. And just as Christy was talking about, people come up and, and they do certain readings out of the big book and they will change the word God to her or to she or to I want to change this or we want to change our format. We want it to be more, you know, gender neutral. All of those kinds of every single day. So the fight runs deep. The fight runs deep within me. And as I can tell with other people, and obviously they were going to devote a complete chapter to the idea of changing my mind about that, to letting me know that that is, that is my, my hope, that is the solution, that's the place I'm going to go, and that I would take the, the thoughts that I had about it, the belief systems that I had about it coming in here. Um, maybe not even entirely casting them aside, which has been my case in my experience, to to find there's going to be reconciliation. But not only that, it was going to be the thing that would transform me into the idea that I'd never had to pick up a bite again, that the obsession of mine can be removed as a result of this kind of idea. They're going to show me how that works out. I'm just stunned with the fact 
that remains in my life today that that has been true. The definition of that God, and it doesn't matter what I call it, God just seems to be a convenient, nice, clear way that we all can hear that word has been changed to me. I no longer hate the word. I no longer confine it to a specific religious principles. It is so broad. And that's what I wanted to share about. I've gone from what it was like with Bill in my own particular life, what I hear other people talking about, to a spiritual way of living, a spiritual way of living that has restored me to sanity. Thank you for letting me share on this uh, paragraph, and I'll pass. Thank you, Melanie. Let's move to the next paragraph. Eddie, would you please read? Good morning. This is Eddie in Virginia, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. We know how he feels. We have shared his honest doubt and prejudice. Some of us have been violently anti-religious. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. Perhaps we rejected this particular conception because it seemed inadequate. With that rejection, we imagined we had abandoned the God idea entirely. We were bothered with the thought that faith and dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak, even cowardly. We look upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. We looked askance at many individuals who claimed to be godly. How could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? Yet, in other moments, we found ourselves thinking, when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? There, is a, there was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it, it was fleeting and soon lost. Yes. Good morning again. My name is Eddie. I'm a compulsive overeater in Virginia. Grateful to be here this morning and in recovery. Um, I'm not sure I was ever totally an agnostic. I know that when I came into the rooms, uh, God and I were not speaking. I was, excuse my French, really pissed off at God at the time and felt that um, if he were there, um, that um, he certainly was not playing a whole lot of um, action in my life. Um, there were situations that had gone on um, in my life that I, I could not explain why he would have let that happen to someone like me. Of course, all I could see was the fact that, you know, I had done this and I had done that and I had tried this and I had tried to do this and this is what I got. And um, unfortunately, the situations involved several very close family members and so, of course, the hurt ran even deeper. I never once looked at what my part in those situations were. It was always their part and what they did wrong and the fact that God did not do anything to fix it for me. So, you know, I, I, and I stayed that way for a very long time. And when I first came into the rooms um, and they started to talk to me, um, you know, the, about God, and, and, and I, I just, you know, this whole trap door opened up and I could see myself falling through this and thinking, well, we know how that works in, our, in my life. You know, I know how this works in my life. So, you know, I just was, um, I was totally closed to the idea that indeed he could and would, if he were sought, um, not only fix those problems, but um, just, you know, turn my whole life around. And so I left. And um, 
six months later and, I don't know, 50 pounds heavier or something like that, I came back again because, um, as I heard someone share one, one, one morning last week of God, G-O-D, gift of desperation, had been presented to me. And um, I had picked that up finally because there was nowhere else to go. It was, as I've heard people describe, the last house on the block. Um, and I came back. And um, when I first came in, somebody said to me, well, you know, just, just make believe you believe. Just act as if. You know, they called it a ziff. Act as if. And um, for a while, I did that. I had to do that. Um, although, like I said, the idea that there was a God was not totally foreign to me. I had many years of uh, my my mother was quite a, uh, a religious person, not necessarily spiritual, but religious. And I had been brought up in my particular faith. Um, and my husband was certainly a practitioner of that particular faith and could not understand why I no longer did that. Um, but, um, you know, it took me a while. But uh, I, I, I found that to be very helpful, acting as if um, that, you know, I did believe as if he could solve and would solve if I asked him to whatever problems my life you know, was currently dealing with. And uh, after a while, and it took a while, um, I found that I really did believe because I began to see things happening. And I began to realize that I had played, indeed, a very large role in how those things had panned out the first time. And that with the belief of, um, you know, my higher power, that I could, with his help, uh, repair many of those and move on to a better way of life. And so thank God I did that. And today I try to do that as best I can. I like what Sylvia said earlier about I'm not in charge of anything. I just have to get up and suit up and do my best every day. And that's enough because if I can go to bed at night and know that I have done the best I could today and that tomorrow will present itself tomorrow and that God will you know, show me the way to go, then that, that's it. And I can go to bed at night and be grateful that I got through another day without picking up my substance and in a better in a better way of life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Eddie. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Beth. Uh, let's see, I heard a few folks. I'm sorry, who, I, I did hear Kim. Why don't we go with Kim, and then we'll catch the other names when you're done. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. We have shared his honest doubt and prejudice. Some of us have been violently anti-religious. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him which someone had tried to impress to them during childhood. You know, and I like looking up the origins of words. The word prejudice comes from Latin. And judice means to judge, and pre means beforehand. So all a prejudice is is an idea of we're judging something before it happens. You know, and I started to realize that even though I was a 30-year-old woman, when I came in, you know, reading these pages, I was looking at this as if I was a, a five-year-old child. You know, I grew up in religious schools, and I was looking at this word God through the eyes of a first grader, a second grader, a fourth grader, you know, and that's why it was so painful to me. You know, I, I was taught, you know, God's job is world hunger, not Kim's hunger. How could I talk to God about, about my food and my life? He had bigger problems. You know, so I had to look at this with new eyes. I had to, to let go of those prejudgments of what I thought God was and what I thought all these different ideas were in order to see it. You know, and, and also as a child, I mean, I love going to something I've been to a hundred times and then bringing a young child to it. Because chi children, to be childlike, to look at something for the first time is such a joy. So that's what we need to do. We need to bring childlike eyes 
to this and, and let go of those prejudices, let go of those old ideas. You know, one of the things I had to recognize is how was I going to become open? Because my best thoughts got me here. My best ideas got me to the place of total destruction. And I used to write at the, belt, at the bottom of my journaling every day, God helped me to be open and teachable. And then one day I looked back at it and got tears in my eyes because I had written, God helped me to remain open and teachable. And I was able to do that, and that's where the growth began. When I was able to be open and teachable and let go of those old ideas of God, those old prejudices, what a four-year-old or an eight-year-old child was looking at, I was able to be open up to this process. And that's when true growth began. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And uh, who else would like to share on this paragraph? Hi, Beth from Illinois. Okay, go ahead. Thanks. This is my first time serving on this um, meeting. I love this vision for you. Thank you so much for providing this meeting. Um, I am a compulsive uh, overeater in recovery, and this is really interesting, uh, this this paragraph um, right now. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him of, with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. And just last night I was having a discussion with my 17-year-old daughter, and she's upset right now that her friends are upset with the Christmas concert that they're preparing for at the high school. And they have um, some Christmas songs, and this girl does not believe in Christianity, and it brought up the subject that others don't believe in God at all. And my daughter is trying to create a world uh, for her friends in which no one is offended by anything. And it's just really interesting to to hear um, the discussion. I, it just really brought me to this where they, they say a power greater than ourselves. And it doesn't matter if it's Rusty the snowman. If you, know, if you can say, okay, there's a power greater than myself, and I tried to tell her that this morning. You know, even if somebody doesn't believe in Frosty the snowman, they can sing about him. And just try to have them, you know, I was trying to give her, you know, things to help these kids get through it. And I know they can take it to the, the authorities in charge and stuff like that. But it's just really interesting to watch children going through this and to have all of this discussion to help me kind of have ways to talk to my daughter about it. And, you know, I'm so grateful that I did fall flat on my face and and come to a, a power greater than myself that I call God because when I was managing my, my own mess, I was a deeply, deeply depressed 280-pound woman who was not able to handle anything and thought that I was supposed to be able to handle everything. I thought everybody else had it completely together. And I'm so glad to have found a group of of people who have found that we are not the ones who are able to control this. It, there is a power greater than ourselves, and we have to turn our lives over to that power. I cannot do anything on my own, but by relying on a power greater than myself, who I'm, I choose to call God, I can be surrendered and have the strength to then go forth. And I thank you so much for helping me be able to relate um, some of this to my teenage daughter who has uh, children around who, her, who are going through that 
deep questioning process right now. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. We know how he feels. We have shared his honest doubt and prejudice. You know, we know how he feels. That that was reassuring in and of itself for me because these people, these first 100 who had penned this volume, their collective experience had included people like me, had included people like me who had doubts and prejudices. And, you know, when when they explained to me, when they taught me about the alcoholic disease and my alcoholic thinking, you know, they explained, they discussed my alcoholic problems and explained their fellowship to me. And then they began to talk of God. Well, they knew me. They knew that I might have these doubts and prejudices. But they also knew that if I was anything like them, I was in a place of desperate and miserable hopelessness. That I had come to that place where I knew, I knew deep in my heart that the gig was up. That the gig was up, that I could not do this by myself. After all, my tools, my tools for dealing with this had always ended up being a knife and a fork and a spoon. You know, that, those were my tools for dealing with this disease over and over and over again. And my ego, my self-will, had been stretched to the max. Had been stretched to the max. My human power, my oh-so-human power, just was not working. And so when they presented me with this idea that there might be lack of power as my dilemma and that they had found a power greater than themselves, how could I not look at that? I might be deeply skeptic. I might have lots of doubts. I might have lots of my old ideas, my old ideas. But I was at a place where I had to look at what they were doing because in them the problem had been solved. And I was a smart enough girl to know that it wasn't happening for me by myself and desperate enough to want to at least look at this idea, look at this idea, because hadn't I also seen a brilliantly orange and beautiful tree turning colors in the fall and thought, wow, wow, isn't that amazing? But it was fleeting, that feeling of awe and wonder. It was fleeting. Because I hadn't yet built a foundation where that kind of God was prevalent in my life on a daily basis. But here they were going to give me the opportunity to look at this, to look at my life as I knew it, to what had brought me here. And, and I was going to be able to look at those old ideas of mine in a new way and see where these new ideas might be able to apply. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else on this paragraph before we move to the next one? It's Leah. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so yes, much. Yes. Oh. Uh, you know, this on page 45, to others the word God brought up a particular idea of him with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. 
perhaps we rejected this particular conception because it seemed inadequate. And then with that rejection, we imagined we abandoned the God idea entirely. Um, you know, the big book teaches me that I have a spiritual malady, that I have a spiritual illness. Um, you know, and when that spiritual illness is overcome, I'm going to straighten out mentally and physically. Yes, I had a spiritual illness. I, I had a spiritual misunderstanding. You know, I needed another understanding. Um, I needed to open my mind. And that's exactly what We Agnostics does. We Agnostics is a preparation for step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It is, you know, allowing me to sometimes, you know, for us to discard those old thoughts and, and set aside our old images and belief about God. Because the bottom line is, step one has taught me that I am powerless over food. My life has become unmanageable. And unless we let go of that distrust and begin to lean on God, I was going to continue to operate in an insane manner. You know, my disease was progressing. It was like a runaway train. <laughs> and I was going to end up absolutely, no doubt about it, at the gates of insanity or death. The chaos and the confusion in my life was only increasing. So what this big book did, it was, it, you know, it, it didn't try to prove the existence of God to me. What it did was specialize in convincing me of the need of God. Because the reality was that I was never going to be completely free until I totally yielded to God. And whether I thought it was a great idea, whether I believed in it, whether I understood it intellectually, whether I was knowledgeable on the topic, did not matter. The reality was I was eating myself to death. The reality was I had spent over two decades in mayhem trying to break free from the chains of this disease. And I couldn't. I had thrown everything I could at the obsession of the mind, intellect, self-knowledge, you know, different meetings, different programs, different methods, different remedies, shots, pills, I mean, whatever I could throw at it. And there was no releasing the grip around my neck. And so here it is telling me, you know what, Leah, you don't know everything. You know, you don't know everything, Leah. Sit down, shut up. And, and realize, just like this first sentence here, we know how he feels, meaning this book was written by people who were experienced in this. This book was written by people who also had mistrust and disbelief and a misunderstanding of God. And yet they walked the planet free. They weren't dying in the gutter anymore. They weren't drinking themselves into death. They were free. And what did I want to, what did I want? How free did I want to be? Did I want to continue to have some intellectual debate about whether God really exists? It says here, we looked upon this world of warring individuals and warring theological systems and inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. You know, I could point, okay, what about this in life? And why would God allow this kind of suffering? And I could debate myself from here till tomorrow. 
But the reality was I was sitting in a car at night in a dark parking lot when I had a husband at home waiting for me, and my fist couldn't stop from going down into that cellophane bag for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, eating myself, eating my brains out until my eyes hurt. That was my reality. Look at that, Leia. You know, and so all this intellectual debate about whether God existed and whether he was real and, and how could I understand that and science debates that, all that stuff had to go out the window because the reality was I was dying by my own hand, huh? by my own hand, a self-imposed crisis. And somebody needed to save me, and that somebody had to be God. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Okay, I think I heard, was it Yvette? Yes. Okay, Yvette, go ahead and then we'll catch the other person there. Go ahead, Yvette. Hi, Yvette, recovered um, compulsive overeater. And this, uh, the particular idea of him is sticking out to me. Uh, I, my particular idea of God uh, before coming into program was a God who was there, but a God who wanted me to take care of myself, you know, a God who wasn't interested in my pains and, and my needs and my wants. And, um, yeah, a God who wanted me to take care of me. And so, you know, I uh, self-sufficiency was my, my way, and but I, I realized that if my way was not working uh, with this food issue and... Um, I believe that God is a, a a God of strengthening, and one way that God helped to strengthen me was to uh, help me to be become humble and realize I didn't know I didn't know what I was doing that I needed help, and um, guided me to Overeaters Anonymous, and I sat and I listened, and 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 I was uh, permeable to another way of doing, and um, and. Uh, as far as the spirituality was concerned, I had God in my understanding, but I had a head understanding of God and not a heart understanding. It's like, yeah, God, I know you're there, but yeah, I could take care of this. And I and I did not trust God. I didn't trust God. I trusted myself, uh, even though my my way was uh, landing me in the ditch and in a lot of pain and suffering. But uh, at least I knew what to expect with myself. I didn't know what to expect with God. Um, but uh, God helped me to get to a place where uh, of surrender and um, uh, intuitive thought. He put on my heart, start a, a trust journal. I want you to chronicle all the times in your past, Yvette, where I was there for you. You know, and there and I started from childhood when I was a, a kid, almost died, almost drowned, and by um, a movement of God, you know, I'm here today. And and there were a host of other uh, situations throughout my childhood and early adulthood. And then I was able to move to the current time and say, okay, God, well, here's a situation, and let's see what you do with it. And uh, well, the, the first current event, the current evidence that I had that God was there and God was on my side and God wanted what was best for uh, the situation um, was when my, my ex, my, well, my husband at the time, he, uh, we, we had a car, and I was, I, this car was, I, I felt it was not safe, and I, I didn't want to get into it, but, and I didn't want him to get into it, and it was a source of a lot of stress between the two of us and um, conflict, 
And I know today he wanted to hold on to it for sentimental reasons. But I, I said, you know what, God, okay, let's see what you do with this. You know, really indignant. And um, and I said, I'm not going to open my mouth another time about this. And I didn't. And uh, about a week and a half, two weeks later, um, my husband at the time was on the side of the road. The engine had caught fire in this car. And um, he was not hurt. And physically, his pride was hurt. Yeah, but um, but he was not hurt. And I said, you know what, God, in this situation, I, I realized that um, my heart was in line with God's will in that scenario, and God took care of it. And so from from there, I, I was able to gradually um, surrender different situations. And um, my recovery process has primarily been about um, discovering that the God of my understanding is the God who is there for me, who loves me, who wants to guide me, um, who has the best, my best interest at heart, you know, and because um, self-will wants to kill me, and uh, but God's will wants to preserve me, and um, yeah, my 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 recovery process has been about a deepening trust with uh, with building de- a deepening trust with God. Thank you. Thank you, Yvette. And there was someone else I also heard who would like to share. Anyone like to share on this paragraph before we move on to the next one? This is Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, go ahead. Hi, good morning. You know, um, I was... I can identify with a lot of people who picked and choose what they needed out of this program. Um, when I first came in, I picked and choose, chose uh, not to, you know, read this chapter and um, because I had a God of my understanding. And the God of my understanding was a punishing God. I didn't want to learn any more about it. But I wasn't angry at God. I understood why he was so angry at me because I thought, that I, what a t- terrible person I was. You know, God uh, gave, um, you know, I was born uh, totally normal. You know, uh, I was blessed to have a normal body, a normal brain. And look what I was doing to my body, you know, pouring mounds and mounds of sugar into my body and destroying, you know, what God had given me. And so, of course, God, you know, was angry with me. I didn't blame him. You know, I wasn't angry at God. I could understand why he didn't want to, you know, um, why I wasn't able to get accidents. Um, And so I didn't really want to read any more about how God was angry at me. And what, you know, what this program has given me, what recovery has given me, is that God loves me unconditionally, and I am so grateful for that. I could not understand that in in the religion that I was brought up in. You know, I was damned. In the religion that I was brought up in, why even bother trying? You know, I had done so much damage. You know, just the sugar part was just just one part of how I um, negated what God had given me. And so, um, you know, I said, well, you know, I'm not going to read any more about this, but I, I'm just so grateful that I was able to open up and be, op- you know, listen and learn what a loving uh, God he is to me in my life today. And, 
I'm just so grateful. Um, every part of this book um, has given me something, and um, I'm just very, very grateful. Grateful that uh, I have learned that God loves me no matter what. Um, he loves me unconditionally, and um, you know I've, I've become open. And so I just wanted to to bring out a lot of people. I hear a lot of people um, angry at God. Um, and, you know, I wasn't so much angry with them. I was like, hey, I don't blame you for, you know, uh, not giving me absence. I was waiting for him to come down and bless me and, and <laughs> say, okay, you would now have absence. <laughs> and um, I figured he's not going to do that for me. Look how bad I was. And I also learned during these steps how self-centered that was. You know, I had many sponsors. I had some sponsors say, oh, you poor thing, you know. Don't feel that way. God loves you. No, I, had, I, I finally got one sponsor that said, hey, do you know how self-centered that is of you? And I was, I was appalled. <laughs> what do you mean self-centered? Um, I learned what self-centered was, you know, that, that I could think that much about myself. Um, so I'm just really grateful for the people that God has put in my life. Um, and um, just, uh, just very grateful. Thanks for letting me share. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank, thank you, Anne Marie. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, it's Linda from Connecticut. I'd like to share. Sure, Linda, go ahead. Hi, Christy. Um, I uh, came to mind a line I read somewhere that God is not some far off event, and I thought, what the heck does that mean? And now I know. I am so grateful to have a relationship with God. I came in, I was angry, and I acted as if, and because of the step work, because of the big book, it came together. And that's, boy, a short version of it because it's been very, very dramatic. And I'd like to share one thing that helped me enormously. It's just one of many. Um, I was getting on the highway, one of those entrances, and you have to move fast, and um, I was new, and I was talking to God a mile a minute, getting on the highway. And all of a sudden, in my own head, I heard the thought, and it was like loud, look out. And an 18-wheeler would have hit me if I didn't look out. And I don't remember whether I stopped or went ahead. I think I stopped or, you know, slowed down. It was an instantaneous thing, and I'm on the highway, and I'm safe, and I went, oh, my God, you're inside. It it couldn't have, I I don't know how I drove to the the next thing. I was so thrilled, and that's been my experience, that God is um, inside me and all, and all things, and um, I just talk to God, and I, I listen. And I'm pretty darn obedient, boy. I pay attention to the radar. Uh, thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Linda. We've got time for one more share before we close the meeting. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? I will take that as a no. Why don't um, we close the meeting then? Thank you so much to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Deb W., will you please read A Vision for You? My pleasure. 
Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Deb. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you, Deb. I will now ask everyone to press star one to unmute so we can say the serenity prayer together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Very good. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone who participated today. Melanie, are you on the line? Hi, I am. Good morning again, Christy. What a Good great morning. Good morning. What a great meeting. My name is Melanie, and I'm a compulsive overeater here in Minnesota. And here at A Vision for You, we have set aside time dedicated to those that are new to our meeting that would like to introduce yourself. And you can do that now by pressing star 1 on your phone keypad. That will unmute your phone that you can speak. And, um, and I will welcome you. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Lisa. I'm new to this phone group. Oh, good morning, Lisa. Do you want to give us your phone number? Yes, I'd love some outreach phone calls. That would be terrific. My number is 203-240-6122. Thank you. And what time zone? Hi, Lisa. What time zone are you calling from? I'm calling from Eastern Standard Time, and it is a cell phone, so please call any time. If I can't answer the phone, I simply don't but I will return phone calls. Welcome to you. So glad that you're here. How about anyone else? Any other newcomers this morning? Hey, this is Marjorie, and I am a relative newcomer to this meeting. My number in Mountain Time is 505-797-0813, and I have some logistic questions if there's a chance to ask them. You betcha. Um, just right after uh, a couple of announcements here, then we'll have time to do that. So please stand by, okay? And we'd like to address those and do the best we can at answering those for you. Anyone else here for the first time? Oh, we've got some blenders going on here. I'm going to just do a little bit of muting. So just hang on with me for a second. If I've muted you and you wanted to speak, just press star one again. Okay, good morning again. Um, any other newcomers that want to say hello? Press star one on your phone keypad to unmute yourself.
How about anyone that's been here for a bit and hasn't uh, had a chance to say hello and would like to do that now? Just press star one on your phone keypad and, and we can welcome you. Well, I hope I didn't inadvertently uh, mute anyone while I was covering up the pots and pans and blenders. <laughs> but um, I would like to welcome especially Lisa and Marjorie this morning. So glad that you're here and you found us. Um, here at A Vision for You, we have a permanent member contact list that is quite extensive. And Rosanna maintains that list here as a service to A Vision for You. We're grateful for that. Rosanna, are you here? Would you please explain to us how we can get on that list? Yes, I will. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, A Vision for You. Welcome, newcomers. Welcome home. Good morning. Good morning. If you want to be on the contact list and get the contact list, you can email me at avisionforyou164 at yahoo.com. And that's A-V-I-S-I-O-N-F-O-R-Y-O-U-164 at yahoo.com and you can email me your name your last initial the state you are from the phone numbers that you want on the list and please indicate whether it's your home or your cell your cell carrier and the email address that you want on the list if you don't have email access only if you don't have email access please call me and leave a text or leave a text um, you know, you could text a message to me to my cell phone, which is 917-579-6062. And you can um, text me or call me with your full name, first and last, your address, your full address, the state you're from, the phone numbers you want on the list, and please indicate which one is which, home or cell, and your cell carrier. And the list comes out um, the first week of every month. So the next list will be out on the first week of November. So um, once again, my phone number is 917-579-6062. Thank you. Have a blessed, absent day, everyone. Hello. Did everybody hear me? Did everybody I did. Here I am talking. Here I am talking away. Thanks so much, Rosanne. I appreciate that. That's a, that's an awful big service for us, and we appreciate it so much. Um, and with that, I would just like to to encourage Lisa and Marjorie to to contact Rosanne in the way that she had mentioned, so that you can get on that permanent list as well. And anyone that missed um, uh, Lisa or Marjorie's telephone number and would like to get a hold of them this week to welcome them, um, you can contact me. My name is Melanie. And my phone number is 541-908-1221. And with that, I'm going to pass it over to Leah, who has some great things to share with us about what's happening here at A Vision for You. Good morning, Leah. Hey, Melanie. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the newcomers on the line. A Vision for You is dedicated to the study, the discussion, and teaching of the program of recovery that's contained in the first 164 pages. We're glad you're all here. A Vision for You meets Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. In addition to the Monday through Friday meetings, we often get together on Sundays as well. The next one to announce would be for Sunday, October 28th. At 8.30 a.m., we will have three recovered compulsive overeaters 
who will be speaking about step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Uh, three recovered compulsive readers will speak on that topic about making that decision, and uh, there will be opportunities to pose any questions to those speakers at the end of the meetings uh, after they share. So I invite you to that. That's at 8.30 a.m. All of these meetings, Monday through Friday, as well as these special edition Sunday meetings, are recorded, and you can now easily access those recordings on the website, the Vision for You website. The web address is www.avision, the number four, you, dot info. So I'll go through that. It's www.avision, the number four, y-o-u, dot info. I-N-F-O. On that website, you'll see tabs to access the daily recordings as well as the special edition meetings. If you don't have Internet access, there is a way to access these recordings through your phone line, and that phone number is 712-432-5203. They're going to ask you for a conference code. It's the same one that you used here this morning, 876-148-POUND. They're also going to ask you for a share code. A share code is a four-digit number assigned to every meeting. For instance, today's meeting, the share code is 3175, 3175 for today's meeting. Zero pound will always allow you to access the most recent recordings, so that's an easy way to uh, hear the daily recordings. And uh, that's it for now. And uh, now we open the line for any questions. I believe Marjorie had some technical question. Also, if you have any comments or or questions on what was studied today, Uh, this would be your opportunity to press star one to unmute. Thank you, everyone. With that, I pass. Hi, this is Marjorie, and thank you, Leah, and thank you, Melanie. And I I think I just got the answer to my question. I wanted to be – my question was that I wanted to be able to access the previous recordings and – other than knowing the the zero pound or pound zero code for accessing the most recent, I didn't know how to do that. So apparently if I go to the website, it will give me the share code numbers that I can then use when I dial in to, to get the recording. Am I correct on that? Actually, um, Mark. Go ahead, Mel. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Actually, Marjorie, this is Melanie. You go to that website and you can, in fact, listen to it from your PC or your computer, or you can download those to your favorite mobile listening device and take it on the run. So I can't actually necessarily just get a number, a share code, and then dial in at some other time. I have to yes. download it. Yes, you can. 
Nope, you can. You can you can look at the share code number right there, and you can, in fact, um, take it to another time and listen to it on your phone. The other thing I wanted to offer here is is uh, we have a fellow that is willing to give out a whole list, email you or snail mail you a list of all the share codes that have happened since um, uh, the time we started, somewhere around the middle of July, with all of these recordings. And her name is Kim. And she keeps a running list of all the share codes daily. Thank you, thank you, Kim, for that. It's a big deal because not everybody has electronic access. And her phone number, Marjorie, is 856-313-1887. And she can give you those numbers, however seems to be suitable for between the two of you. Thank you so much. You've... You've given me the resources and the next things that I need to do. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. We aim to please. This deal is not a small matter. We take it seriously, and uh, we do what we can to make sure that people have every opportunity to become recovered. Thank you. Also, when you have a... <laughs> I was just going to say, and we have a whole lot of fun doing it, and... <laughs> There's a lot of fun and conviviality and freedom at this, too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Also, another tip is you'll notice as you listen to the recordings that at the beginning of of the format that's read on the recording, the moderator will uh, mention the previous day's share code number. So you can actually work your way back. As you listen to the recordings, you can work your way back uh, through the recording history. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. You're welcome. Uh, hi, this is Good Sylvia. Eileen. Good. Can I ask a question? Of course. Go ahead. Go right ahead. What? I just tried to get onto the website, and. Uh, it's not coming up. Can you go over the website address one more time? Sure. Although Melanie is is quite adept at this stuff, um, I'll offer you the web address again. It's www. A is in Andrew, V is in Victor, I is in Ida, S is in Sam, I is in Ida, O is in Oscar. N is in Nancy, the number four, that's it, just the digit four, Y as in yellow, O as in Oscar, U as in umbrella, dot info, I as in Ida, N as in Nancy, F as in Frank, O as in Oscar. That's all one word. Hopefully that'll that'll help you. Otherwise, Melanie might have some suggestions. Thanks. No, that was it. Thank you. I had uh, used the letter U instead of Y-O-U. Thank you. Good morning. This is Eileen. Go right ahead, Eileen. Sure. I I just wanted to thank everyone for their service this morning. Um, I just want to claim my seat. I've reached 22 days abstinence. I'm still sort of new to the program, but making my way through it and I just love coming into this meeting in the morning. It's just like a shot in the arm to start the day. So I just wanted to thank you all, and it already feels like family. 
So everybody have a great abstinent day, and welcome to the newcomers. Thank you. We're glad you're here. We love that seat claiming stuff. We really do. We can see you out there. You know, the thing about a phone meeting is that that um, we can't see one another like we can in a face-to-face meeting. So um, becoming visible is, for me, was so very critical. That's what I had when I first came into recovery was um, just the phone meetings. And um, I, for, for me, from getting out of my isolation was claiming a seat, being of service, getting in and doing the readings. And, um, and lo and behold, my goodness gracious, a person like me, you know, from the wrong side of the tracks, <laughs> was able to get her voice back again. I came in here, I shared this before, and it's no no less a total, total miracle um, that I'm aware of and grateful for that uh, with agoraphobia, um, you don't leave your house, you don't use the phone, you your world gets so small and small and small and small. And because of that process, because of the directions in the first 164 pages of being of service, um, I am not that way anymore, and that's exactly the way it was started. It was encouraged to start was claiming my seat, getting my voice out there so I could be seen, and bravo for you. We love that. Come and get on board. Get in this lifeboat and be of service here. Thanks so much. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. Again, I offer this time as uh, just an open forum. If anybody would like to comment on what was read this morning, obviously this time period is not recorded, and perhaps that lends to more comfort for you to share. So pressing star 1 to unmute would allow you to do that. If you have any comments or questions on what was read, thanks. Hi, this is <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> this is Nicole, compulsive overeater, and I'm I don't think I'm quite recovered yet, but I'm working on it. Um, I've been listening on and off, and I've got the contact list. I'm not a newcomer, but definitely want to play my seat. And I do have a question because um, it's been on my mind, so it's a good time to do it. And I think you know just the way that my brain is, I hear all of you guys that share regularly and I think, well, I could never be like them because they're like in crowd. (laughs) And that is so not true, but it's just the way that I think. So when the last person said that about claiming their seat, I'm like, well, I have to say something because I want to break that cycle of thinking. You know, we're all just normal people, but, you know, with, with God and this program, you know, that's you're just taking action and you're you're volunteering and you're making yourself, putting yourself out there. So I can, it's not like you guys and me, we're all the same. I have to realize that. Um, but my question is, is I've been um, in food recovery for a little over a year and a half. My disease didn't start 
uh, until I was like 26. I didn't um, grow up with this. It started with uh, first dieting and restricting and exercising, and then it turned into uh, binging, which was so weird to me because I'm like, this is going completely against what I'm trying to do, but I couldn't stop it. So I started started in OA in May of 2011, and finally I, you know, uh, it was really hard to figure out what I was supposed to eat and, and whatnot, but um, I'm working the steps with, with a sponsor, and I'm on step 12, and I'm at the point of doing service, and, um, you know, I, I really want to, I'm asking God to put something in my path to to help others, but to also help myself. And I guess my question, sorry, my question is, is when you're, when you consider yourself recovered, you, you know, I still sometimes have temptations, like I feel like I want to eat more and I have food thoughts and sometimes it doesn't feel like, I feel like I should be not having these problems still because of where I'm, quote unquote at and um sometimes I'm like, God, how do you do you take the desire from me to eat or do I do I I just don't not actually sure how this actually works out like spiritually. Like if I tell God, God, I just want to eat that cake right now, what does he do? Does he take the desire away from me or do I have to do some action, like make a call and then he'll help me? I'm not really sure. Uh, so if anybody has any experience to share, that'd be great. I also want to share that um, I have to get my son up right now. He's almost two. So I'm going to mute myself so that I can hear you. But if you try to talk to me, if I don't talk back, it's just because I don't want you guys to hear him babbling. So um, I'll pass. If anybody has anything to say, that'd be great. Thanks. Hi, this is Eddie in Virginia. Um, good morning, Nicole. Um, I um, I used to ask people in program when I when I got to stop when I would get to stop be, being crazy uh, because you know we are what we are. Um, get up every morning, you're still you're still a compulsive overeater. Um, you know the only thing you get to do is put the recovered tag in in front. Um, but um, you know, you don't. I, I know for myself. Um, thank God they don't come as often as they do. But there are times um, that I still get food thoughts, or you know, that whatever that substance is in front of me, um, that's you know particularly calling to me. It happens. Um, the thing about being recovered is that instead of reaching for the food, um, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but I know that I, you know, the first thing I do is um, I, I ask God to take the food thought from me. I say the Serenity Prayer. Um, those are usually simultaneous, you know, one one behind the other. And then um, I find that that to be very calming. Uh, it kind of puts everything in perspective. And then um, I usually will look around and think to myself, um, you know, what is it that's going on here with me that all of a sudden makes this poison so attractive to me? Again, that, um, as Leah says, it's the best idea I've had in a long time. Um, that I should pick this substance up. So, um, you know, and normally, and I, sometimes it doesn't come right away, but, you know, usually there's something that, you know, has happened that I've, um, that has kind of maybe like triggered that. 
um, I, I knew if, I knew a, a man in program. Um, unfortunately, he's he's passed on, but he always talked about there's that story in the in the back of the big book uh, on acceptance. I think it's like if you have the fourth edition, four seventeen or whatever. Um, and there's that paragraph in there about um, that's the paragraph. The page is the the page the paragraph is on is four seventeen about you know that when there's something going on in life, it's because there's some something that's not acceptable to me as it is. And then I can't get by that until I accept that it is exactly how it's supposed to be and that I need to let go and let God. And so I find that, you know, when I have those food thoughts or when I have uh, food dreams or whatever, that there's usually something going on in my life that I've not come to grips with, to terms with that, you know, it is, it is what it is. And um, they have thank God lessened. And I think that that's one of the, one of the many gifts of recovery is that, um, you know, you, you start to face these things without the food becoming the first line of defense against, you know, whatever, you know, situation is happening in your life. And, um, you know, that, that, that just has what's worked for me. Uh, I've got a couple things going on here in my life. My, my husband's got some health issues. My daughter's having some health issues. Um, and, um, I've, um, you know, been certainly concerned um, because I love both of them dearly, but um, you know, food is not an option. Food does, food does not solve the problem. You know, whatever it turns out to be, it will be, and God will get me through this. Um, and however it ends, whatever happens, whatever we need to do to get through this, we will, because God will be there. And um, you know, I just found that that works for me. Whenever those things pop into my head, that uh, you know, first I go to God. Um, then if I need to make a phone call or if I need to do some reading or need to pick up the pen instead of the fork, you know, that works all the time. And it's just, you know, it, this too shall pass, you know, that, that, that food thought is fleeting. Um, if you act on it immediately, of course, then you've got the consequences that come with having acted on that. Whereas if you, you know, substitute or bring in, that's not a substitute, it is the answer. You bring in the answer first, the problem I find for me has, you know, resolved itself. So I hope that helps, and have a, a great day. Um, bless and abstinent. Bye. Hi. Hi, Janet. I'll help this with you. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Oh, okay. Hey, um, two things. One, I was going to ask Melanie for the first three numbers of her phone number. I missed it, the area code. This is Michelle. Hi. Hi, Michelle. This is Melanie. Thank you for asking. Um, the first three are five, four, one. All right. Thank you so very much. You're and, welcome. Um, then I wanted also to address um, the question that just came up on um, the food stuff coming up. I find as I get older, and um, this week I had a birthday. I became 57 years old, which is an interesting time, that I the longer I'm in program, the more I become aware, the more I have to put boundaries in all areas of my life. And I came into the boundaries a little bit differently than, than some people. But as I get older, as I become more aware, I am 
more and more willing to let go of foods. Um, Over the past eight or nine months, I let go of whole categories of food because even though I was not eating compulsively and at my right weight, they were causing an undercurrent of agitation. And um, so if I'm not eating any of those foods to which I'm having a biochemical reaction, um, then I'm clear and I do not have the cravings at all. So that really helped... uh, for me, you know, to be able to let go of and be aware of certain foods that perhaps didn't bother me, you know, four years ago, five years ago. And, um, you know, at times of stress, which life is stress, and like life is learning opportunities, um, you know, for me to put very, very strong boundaries and awarenesses um, around what's going on, you know, for me, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. It is so very important. So I'm finding if these categories of foods that used to be okay, and and for me there's some specific foods, for for me there's some categories, are eliminated, um, you know, then it really clears up everything. And I'm finding how much of my life, I learn a lot from my kids. It's sort of amazing. My son, who's an adult, is coming by today. He lives in Manhattan, but um, I see him once every month or month and a half. He's in Atlanta uh, very often for business. But through my kids, I learn so, so much. Um, Both of my kids are grown up and on their own and, you know, and leading their own lives, which is so wonderful. But I remember when they were very young and the idea of ADD and ADHD or whatever it was, ADHD came up, and I was adamant against medication, and, you know, oh, this did not exist. Well, now after seeing some PBS specials and reading and becoming more educated, I learned, and I was able to acknowledge, gee, I have a lot of those behaviors and symptoms, and, you know, also the isolation, you know, they're different manifestations. So through my kids, I learn and become aware, and today I'm open to seeing in a PBS special, you know, gee, I exhibit a lot of those behaviors. So there, too, I'm learning the tools to deal with, um, you know, my own behaviors, my own neurological way of being in the world. And um, it's so wonderful to have tools. It's so wonderful to have boundaries. It's so wonderful to see and be flexible enough to make those changes when they need to be changed. It, it, you know, it comes down to what am I willing to do to not only stay in recovery, but to be there for the people in my life, you know, for my husband, for my children, and for myself. Um, it's just such a wonderful thing to be able to do that. So for today, I learn, you know, I'm willing to learn from everybody around me, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, and to be flexible to the changes. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Hi, guys. This is Kim. Can you hear me? Can you guys yes. hear me? It's Kim. Okay. Oh, yes, we can, Kim. Okay. Um, what a fabulous question, Nicole. You know, I think that's a question so many people have. And uh, I just wanted to go to the forward with second edition for a minute. It says, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapse. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. So that shows that when the second edition came out in 1955, which was 16 years after the first edition, 75% of the people became recovered. And what was going on in 1955? In 1955, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous 
and the program of recovery, which is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote the exact same thing. When you went into an AA meeting, you were taught the program of recovery. And that's why the recovery rate was so high. Now, if we go into an AA meeting today, if we go into an OE meeting today, we can't claim anything like that. We can't even claim probably 5% in OA, and I don't know what they can claim in AA today. So my, my feeling is that, that um, the further we get away from the big book, the less recovery there is. And the only book that talks about recovered is in the big book. You know, all of our OA literature does not claim that. You know, so recovered is is really defined through those ten step promises on page eighty five. So, I, and I have someone that's had. I mean, I've had long term absence. I had six years. I had two years. I had three years. But I was still fighting the food. It was still I am more powerful powerful than the food, and I'm going to stay sober. I'm going to stay absent on this fellowship. This fellowship is going to give me the strength to get away from the food. So my focus was always on trying to control the food, trying to get away from the food. I wasn't really going towards that solution as much as like, okay, well, I'll use God when God is convenient. But if I really need to get my way, I'm going to have to you know, usurp his, what he needs. So the difference when I really went through the big book, as it was stated, I didn't put my twist on it. I didn't use the OA 12 and 12 twist on it. I didn't use the AA 12 and 12 experience and say, well, I can do it differently because the AA 12 and 12 says something different. When I purely went through it, as the big book says, it was a totally different experience. Recovered is totally different than having long-term abstinence um, in this program. So I just want to read those 10 step promises. It says on page at bottom of 84, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. So once again, I was still fighting the food. I was still saying if I, if I have you know, if I buy this certain type of food and I prepare everything and I make sure that I have no other options and if I can control this and get the right Tupperware and the right scale and all these different things, then I so I was fighting it constantly. And I was fighting everyone. You better not make me go to this restaurant. You better make sure that when you have food at your house, it's only food I can eat. These people are out to get me. Everything was fighting. So by this time, sanity will have returned. Well, that monkey chatter in my head was not sanity. When I did these steps and the, and the, and the uh, compulsion was removed, I was sane. I was sane. So, you know, the sanity has returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we'll find this has happened automatically. So once again, do food thoughts happen? I have to tell you, very rarely. I had a couple weeks ago where I was really stressed out and hyperactive, and I had this thought of, well, I had a bowl of pasta I could calm down. And I laughed at myself immediately because I thought, that's insane. That's insane. That's what I did, you know, 10, 15 years ago. What would have happened when I was six years after and I would have had that same thought and said, okay, let me logically think about this. Let me make so many phone calls. Let me get to a meeting because I have to fight off this thought. I have to fight off this thought. Being recovered, I had the thought and then I recoiled as if from a hot flame. You know, we react sanely and normally, and we will find this has happened automatically. What that means to me is that when I got the focus off controlling the food and the focus was on getting this power in my life, doing the steps as, as it's stated and not trying to control the process, it seemed to happen automatically because I wasn't focusing on the food. The steps automatically gave me that. You know, it says in the big book, when we straighten out spiritually, we will straighten out physically and mentally as well. 
continue with the book. We will see that our our new attitude towards liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are neither fighting it nor are we avoiding temptation. So once again, it was always effort. Even six years abstinence, you know, going to like five meetings a week and sponsoring, it was still an effort. You know, it was still like, okay, I'm going to, the food is, is, is what I want so bad, but I know I'll be a bad girl if I don't have it. So this attitude towards the food is, these are just foods I don't have. These are foods I'm allergic to. I do not want them because I love the life I have. It's the new attitude. I'm not fighting it, and I'm not avoiding temptation. I can go anywhere. If I have a good reason to go to a, go to a restaurant to meet friends, my focus is on the friends. If I, if I want to go to a family function, I don't feel like I have to be out of the room where, my, where those binge foods are because I'm there in the moment. I'm joining. You know, I don't have to avoid situations. We feel as though we, continue with the reading again, we feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Once again, a feeling I never felt in abstinence. Never felt neutral. It was always, am I strong enough to resist it or am I going to have to give in? Am I strong enough to resist it or am I going to have to get in? give in? I'm in a place of neutrality. You know, I walk into a room, I don't even notice the food anymore. You know, instead, the problem has been removed. That is a totally different experience than I had in my long-term abstinence. Sitting with the book again. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So the copy nor we are afraid. I was either like, ha, 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 I'm spitting into my jeans. Everybody should look at me because look how strong I am because I can resist this food. I, I'm doing this. Or I was terrified because I sat there going, I know if I have one bite, I'm going to be a size 24 again. I know if I have one bite, I'm going to be a size 24 again. That was my abstinence. That was that restless irritable discontent. And this is my experience. This is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So once again, I have to do all these things that, you know, I have to live in 10 through 12. I have to apply these principles to every aspect of my life. I don't have the option to go to this meeting and love you guys and go out into the world and treat people like crap because I will not stay in that fit spiritual condition. But as long as I do that, I will live in these 10-step promises, which is once again much more a totally different experience than living in long-term abstinence. And um, I appreciate you listening to me, and with that, I pass. Hi, it's Katie. Do you hear me? Hello? Do you hear me? We hear you. Go ahead, Katie. We hear you. Good. So I was thinking, yes, I definitely see the learning of the big book as being an unbelievable process, yet the tools of I plan what I eat and I, if I don't plan what I eat, if you don't plan what to eat, if you fail to plan, you, you plan to fail. So just like a, on a practical notice, I noticed that the fact that for the last 15 years, every morning I write my food plan um, for the day, it's just like I know this is what I this is what I need to do, and at any given time, if it's not on my food plan, it's not on my time zone, 
It just doesn't mean anything to me. And over the years, I think I developed such a, I think to a certain degree, a certain, a certain immunity by using the tools of the program that, yes, I go to all kinds of places and there's so much abundance of food that is being served in all kinds of occasions, but it just doesn't belong to me, doesn't call my name, has nothing to do with me, because I'm on a mission of having a very meaningful life, a life that occupies my head, serving to God to the utmost for today. Most of the time, it's like being there to do service for others, for my family, and so much of my personality changed that has nothing to do anymore with the food. The food is just something which is very holy for me. When I sit down to eat a meal, I make sure everything is in front of me. I happen to be Jewish and Orthodox, so I say the blessings before, I say the blessings after the food, I chew the food very thoroughly. So when I get up from a 20 minutes meal, or whatever it is, I know that I ate. I know that I'm not looking for nothing more to do, just life in between those three meals. Besides, I do the outreach calls, which are extremely helpful. They are like, if I ever thought that I'm doing a favor to someone, calling them, it's like an amazing miracle turning where I hear them and I hear myself with reading something from reflection for today, literature, or something from the 12 steps, something very small, and just understanding that this is nothing to do with food. And on that, go on, go on service that I've been doing and listening to the coffee shop and to Vision for You. Thank God that I'm like very happy to be almost on both, not at the same time, but sometimes listening recordings. They're extremely helpful. I go to writing once a week. So the food is just like a vehicle to make me healthy, to make me appreciate the beautiful creation that God has given me to use inside my body, but as a tool not to abuse myself, not to sabotage, not to be a people pleaser, just to be there with this conscious of being conscious, being loving, being able to be good. And I don't know how to even express to you how much I'm so grateful for all the questions. And now that I could be participating, and I do have a voice to share with you on a very deep level, it's one of the greatest things that happened to me in my life, the vision for you, from the big book, from calling even 
the phone conference vision for you, just one day at a time. And every day, every day I put the time. I don't want even to give up one minute of the program to anybody because I, in other, in other words, it's my investment for life and my family recognizes it. Nobody bothers me, thank God. I'm just grateful to give something that today is a gift for life. Thank you for listening. I hope it was of um, help, if it is help for anybody who wants to you know, understand where I'm coming, giving away 80 pounds, being exposed to the program 19 years ago, but being very intensively the last eight years on a daily basis. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is Carolyn from Massachusetts. You know, I was questioning um, for a while about my um, my recovery, and I thought, well, I feel like I'm recovered um, in the point of my program that I'm recovered, but nothing really has come up to test my recovery. So this past week, I had a situation that completely tested my recovery and allowed me to see how I was in that neutrality position. And I thank God I turned my entire will and life over into God's hands. My son was very sick in the hospital and it was touch and go. He didn't know if he was going to make it or not. And I trusted. There were three things that kept coming to me the entire time. Let go, rely, and trust. Let go, rely, and trust. And as long as I kept doing that, I didn't even think of food. I waited to the point where my stomach was making so much noise, I said, oh, I must be hungry. And I would go down to the cafeteria. And this was another way of um, testing my attitude toward food because when I went to the cafeteria, they had everything that I needed there to be abstinent. I had no problem having abstinent food in the hospital, and um, so I don't bother trying to plan now that I have time in between and can go home before I'm at the hospital. It, it's going to be during a meal time. I can either bring my own food because they have facility that I can use or I can get my food there, which is um, just as abstinent as the stuff I bring. And I'm just grateful today that um, I was able to see that I am recovered. I am truly recovered. I had no desire for the food. All I wanted was for my son to be well and back to us so that... um, we can live as a family. But I was also in a position where I was so willing to accept whatever God was dishing out to me that it just blew me away. It blew me away. I had no idea 
that I had such a strong spiritual program. And I am so grateful. I am so grateful to this phone meeting because if it wasn't for this phone meeting, I never would have gotten my recovery. And if I wasn't recovered, I never would have been able to live through this past week. And for that, I am forever grateful. And that's all I have to say about that. Thank you, I pass. Thank you very much for sharing, and thanks to all of the previous sharers. This is Peter, uh, recovering in Hoboken, New Jersey. Very happy to be here with all of you. So I don't need the floor, but maybe, yeah, gosh. Um, let's see. Uh, I am, I'll just share what's going on, or maybe I'll just uh, say a few words of introduction. Um, I'm 42 years old. I'm married. Uh, I've been with my wife for 15 years. She's from the Philippines. She's been here since 95. Um, Her entire immediate family is still there. We have a five-year-old son, um, and who I just dropped off at kindergarten. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm second oldest of five. I've got an older brother who's two and a half years older than me, younger brother who follows me by a year, a sister who follows him by by a year and a half, and the baby is my other sister who's five years younger than me. So, um, yeah, uh. I think my father might have some, uh, I don't know if he has food issues. I I don't think he's, uh, yeah, I think he does. Um, yeah, I think it ties into self-care and stuff. Uh, he has definite digestive issues. He's uh, had parts of his uh, digestive system removed. Um, so I think that relates to probably not very good digestive health. I don't know if that ties in with food. And then my mother has uh, 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 my mother has uh, food issues for sure. She um, I don't think I've ever eaten a meal with her. I don't think I've ever seen her eat a meal. Um, she takes uh, she's kind of sneaky with her food, and I've I've actually begun doing that with my son. I kind of sneak. I don't want him to see what I'm eating like gobbling up ice cream and everything. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't be... Uh, please, uh, feel free to correct me. I, I shouldn't be mentioning foods, I guess. I think uh, that uh, maybe someone could uh, run some run run uh, some of the guidelines by me. I, I don't know. Um, I think it's a good idea just to listen and, and see what, what is, what's appropriate to share. So um, maybe I do need to listen a little more and just kind of sit back. But... Um, I'll share a word or two about my food issues, though. Um, I was sharing uh, with a fellow member uh, earlier, uh, just earlier, that um, food is my primary uh, go-to uh, when I'm when I 
find myself slipping into despair, when I find myself feeling rejected, when uh, critical when uh, critical mass is achieved, and uh, it seems like uh, everybody has rejected me or those people, and then I withdraw and isolate because I feel rejected. And uh, the first place I go is food um, or comfort. Um, so, and then a close second is uh, picking up the remote, the television remote control. So, I'm vulnerable right now. I'm alone in the apartment. I work. I'm an, I work the overnight. Um, so, drop my son off. I'm alone here in the empty apartment, and uh, I'm pretty sure that if I were not on the phone with all of you, I would be um, using food. Uh, so. It, Practicing emotional eating, I'd be using food to medicate um, my uh, distress, my restlessness, irritability, and discontentedness. I'd also have the television on, and I'd be uh, just seeking oblivion. So I'm grateful uh, to all of you for being here, uh, that I can choose a, a, a different, uh, a different um, activity. So what I'd like to do is uh, prepare a healthy breakfast and uh, wash up and then sleep. Uh, I've got a, uh, roughly a five-hour window where I can sleep while my son is in school. That's how I planned it. So um, it's really quite important that I uh, be disciplined about it. So anyway, with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll go ahead and leave my phone number. Uh, it's 347-777-3081. Again, 347-777-3081. Confidential voicemail. You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Metro PCS. If you press pound, you can uh, bypass the voicemail greeting. Go right to the beep where you can leave a message. And, uh, yeah, I'll just throw it out there to you all. Um, Metro PCS has been making it hard for me to connect to this and other 12-step uh, conference lines. So um, if anybody uh, is able to uh, connect me by three-way calling, that would be so uh, tremendously appreciated. So. An extremely simple procedure to uh, host a three-way call, um, and I'm very happy to uh, to uh, tell anyone how to do it who might want to try that. So uh, I'm able to connect today. Uh, it took me 26 attempts uh, this time. Uh, it has not taken me more than 40. I'd say it hasn't taken me more than 45 attempts, uh, but uh, 40. I've had I've had to dial in about 40. 40 some odd times, uh, a few times in the last week or so. So, an exercise in patience. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm rambling. Uh, so, uh, thank you for listening. I'm going to go ahead and mute now. Hi, this is Rebecca. Um, 
I want to acknowledge, was it Peter who just spoke? It took courage um, to share so much about yourself on the line. And I want to get back to Nicole and um, her concern. And two things come to my mind um, that I want to share about. Lots of things came to mind, but two in particular. And one is that um, when we're newly going through the steps, or for me, I should speak about myself, I believe, if I remember correctly, that it took a little while for my um, recovery to catch up with me. And so I'd say that over time, um, the food thoughts um, got less and less. And so you may have to be a little patient. But the other thing that comes to mind is that um, I think some people think they're abstinent when they're not. And Michelle talked about how there's categories of food that she realized she had to eliminate, and I just want to second that. I think some people are, um, for instance, drinking diet soda or using artificial sweetener, chewing gum, um, things like that, and I suppose it's uh, different for everybody, and maybe some people can do those things and still be abstinent, but I can't. And um, in case, um, Nicole, you might be eating something that's triggering the phenomenon of craving without realizing it. So uh, try to really look at what you're ingesting and... um, be as honest as you possibly can be with yourself about whether there's something that you need to try giving up. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for sharing, Rebecca. Thank you to everyone who shared. Uh, If you'd like to share, press star 1 to unmute. Line still open. Any questions or any comments on what was read or the topic that was discussed this morning? Star 1 to unmute. Thank you.
Leah, this is Deborah. May I share? Absolutely. It's your turn. Thank you. Um, as to the topic of the foods and craving, um, for me, I know I had to give up the sugar. There was no doubt about that and some other individual binge foods. And the biggest thing that helped me with my, besides putting down the sugar and, and getting a plan uh, from a nutritionist that was for me, not not a top cookie cutter plan because I don't really, I've never understood how anybody thought that could work, but that's my personal um, judgment. And just following it, just trusting the process. And, you know, when in doubt, I was told to leave it out. And I also have discovered over, you know, 14 years of, of um, living in recovery and, and putting the stuff down, the food thoughts will be removed. Um, and even dear Dr. Bob had cravings for a couple of years. And he just, you know, he said, just was a reminder, I need to get busy with other people uh, and do service. And um, the, how do I want to share it? You know, some things that used to bother me, you know, didn't bother me, bother me now. And some things that, vice versa. And I would never, I never have, you know, I'd always check with my sponsor first, you know. I totally let go of all the bread because I knew in any shape or form, um, you know, I just craved that stuff. So I didn't want anything. You know, I'd, I'd rather have potatoes and, uh, you know, something that was not looked like a bread, not like a bread, you know, anything. And, um, you know, five years into the program, somebody suggested something, and I thought, oh, I didn't, didn't want to go there, didn't want to go there. And um, it turns out it's all sprouted products that have no white flour in it. And, you know, now I have a piece every now and then measured, weight and measured, um, to fit my plan. And the deer loaf can go freezer dry because I, I, I forget about it. I don't, you know, I honestly don't crave it. Um, and it's the rigorous honesty, I think, with clarity, with time, you know, we know, or I knew, I can only speak to myself, you know, if I keep thinking about a food after I've eaten it, even in my weight and measured portion, and it might be, you know, fit the criteria of, you know, sugar fit or beyond, um, you know, somehow, you know, my um, makeup can't tolerate that. You know, my sensitivity to it has, you know, crossed the line. Now, I either, you know, and the sooner I give it up, the more peace of mind I get for, you know. And um, so if there's anything that, you know, I've been, I find, let it go for 90 days. If I can live without it for 90 days, then it's probably not a problem. But if I keep thinking about it, you know, those first 30 days I'm not using it, there's a good chance that belongs on my do not touch list. And um, that has helped me over the years to keep things clear 
and away from, you know, even allowing the disease to have a little bit of wiggle room to begin to, you know, I still find it very important to read labels so I'm not accidentally getting something into my system um, that I don't think, you know, if I pick up a new tea bag and don't look carefully um, to the box, I might be adding something in there that just, you know, sets up my cravings. Um, and honesty, or, um, you know, rigorous honesty, just like the big book says, you know, I, you know, it's a head game. It's a twofold disease, and if my head, the head part starts playing, um, I need to own up to my sponsor ASAP and um, figure out what's going on so it doesn't snowball into a um, undesirable result. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks for sharing. Good morning. This is Gloria in New York, and I'd like to share a moment on, I believe, the topic. Go right ahead, Gloria. Thank you, Leah. I, I just want you to say that um, I came in late, so I'm not sure what the topic was, but I've been listening to the shares, and and they're talking about the food and perhaps having food thoughts and noticing what's in the food, which is a very important component of of recovery, but 
sometimes, especially in early recovery, I remember my sponsor used to say, you know, don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And I told her that every every emotion engendered hungry to me. And that's why it was so imperative that I was very clear about what I was putting in my mouth because I could eat the most, you know, uh, abstinent food, nothing in it that could trigger me at all, um, and weighed and measured and timed and the whole nine yards, and yet some emotional disturbance would conjure up a feeling of being hungry. But because I relied on the fact that I couldn't possibly be hungry since I had already eaten and everything was clean and and ever, uh, I, I started to look at what that might be, and that's what the steps are for. Because, as I said, if I were angry, lonely, and tired, I never got to knowing what those emotions were. In fact, I didn't even know what any emotions were. I, I used to think, um, but I never actually experienced uh, feelings until I was in recovery. And so, uh, in early, in the earlier part of my recovery. Um, that's what led me to understand the differences between these different things and to look beyond hunger into what else might be happening in my life, even taking even a little daily inventory. If I felt overwhelmed, uh, my sponsor would say, well, I'd say, well, everything is fine. I don't know why I am uh, so agitated. And then we'd sit down and list all the things that were happening in my life, and I'd think, wow, that's a lot going on there, but you know, I was just so used to running and doing that I didn't realize the toll that I could sometimes take on my psyche. So it's a big combination, and I don't know where I don't know what the exact question was, or whether it, if it was in, in new recovery that this was happening. But I do know that uh, they told me uh, that it's a pretty slow recovery, and that. Um, it would take about 14 months in in, um, in abstinence to really understand uh, the different emotions I might be feeling, and hunger doesn't seem to be one of them most of the time. I I, I don't know that I ever am really hungry because I I do eat on time most of the time and 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 it keeps my blood sugar level so I don't have any dips and uh, you always have to watch the ingredients uh, in everything because just recently a favorite brand of yogurt that I liked started adding things in it that I don't eat. So, um, you know, it's it's a constant vigilance no, lo- no matter how long you're abstinent. But uh, recovery comes from doing the work after you put the food down. Um, and uh, I think the emotions that come up will, t- t- will lead you back into the program deeper and deeper. That's my experience. Thank you. Thanks for sharing, Gloria. This is Peter. Can I ask a question of, of the group of uh, of of you, Leah? May I ask you a question? Go ahead, Peter. Ask the question. Thank you. 
Uh, yeah, just wondering, after, like, everyone shares, do we uh, transition into more, like, conversational fellowship, or is it just pretty much uh, sharing like this uh, for the entire time? Generally, after the meeting is ended and we're not being recorded, we have a chance to ask questions or dialogue on different parts of what was read. All right. Oh, I see. Okay. So, yeah. So there's there's like a it's uh, kind of definitely recovery uh, related. It's um, related to the reading and, and sharing, not so much a back and forth conversation style of uh, of fellowship. Well, it it can be if there's something that you need to talk feedback on. I'm sure that but if somebody asks a question that requires feedback, people will, as long as you're willing to listen to it, tell them tell tell you their experience, strength, and hope. What did you have in mind? Oh gosh, let's see. Um, yeah, it's a good question. So, uh, yeah, let's see. Um, so obviously, I uh, I am in some other programs. My other programs, uh, uh, I'm in SA, uh, Sixaholics Anonymous. And is that okay for me to share about my other fellowships, or are the? Well, we usually keep it to this particular fellowship, to my knowledge. You know, someone else will have to weigh in if it's if it's open to all the other fellowships uh, that I'm not familiar with. Okay, thank you. I, I really didn't want to say more about that, but I only wanted to say that um, uh, obviously uh, in that fellowship during sharing, uh, it's, it's, uh, you, we we avoid explicit references, right? So, um, and I've had I, I I have attended some twelve uh, step. Uh, uh, I've, I've attended, attended part of some 12-step meetings around, uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think I've maybe a couple of OA meetings on the phone, and um, yeah, I've heard it said we want to, it's good to avoid explicit references to food, so uh, I guess I'll steer clear on that. I'll steer, I'll err on the side of caution with that if. Uh, Probably avoid uh, any reference uh, reference to any types of food. I'm guessing. Um, yeah. So I guess uh, what is totally not triggering for me uh, could be triggering for someone else. I, I'm not sure of that. I think I've heard that actually. So. Yeah, I um, I have this thing. I'm very active in another uh, phone, uh, 12-step phone community, and um, so uh, we've been, you know, kind of uh, like uh, after a share. You know what? I, I don't even think I'm gonna go there. Sorry. Oh goodness gracious! I. Uh, I don't know if this is a phone for. I don't think this is a phone persona because because it's how I act in my face-to-face -face meeting as well. I think my persona has actually been uh, developed. <laughs> I think my personality has 
has developed on the phone, and uh, I've been bringing it. Uh, in fact, my personality that has kind of developed on the phone has. I've been bringing uh, like so at my face-to-face meetings. I'm. I heard somebody say something like, "I'm." I don't know. He said after getting to talk to me and, and, and know me, we had breakfast a couple of times, he said, um, you know, getting to know you a little bit, Peter, um, it's, I, I, you're, you're becoming more human to me, he said. I said, uh, or something more, I forget the term. I, I want to say human, but um, I don't know. I guess I might have to uh, ask him again uh, exactly, or what if he recalls what he meant, uh, what he was, you know, what was, what he was writing at by saying that. But anyway, um, I guess with that, I'll go ahead and pass. Thanks for listening, everyone. Oh, by the way, yeah, just very quickly, what I did want to say was. Um, is it okay for me to acknowledge, uh, like, each, per- each person who shares? The last thing I want to do is to, like, try to take over or try to be, like, some kind of moderator or something. But um, is it okay or is it is it bucking protocol too much for me to, to unmute after each share and acknowledge the, the person who has shared? That's something I would definitely like feedback about. Anyone might have some for me. I don't know, Peter, what the protocol is, but I find it very, very charming. (laughs) I think you just have to... Usually the moderator says that, like, thank you for sharing, but I don't think there is a moderator right now. That's why I keep coming on, because I don't hear anything. But I, I, I just think it's very nice to still have someone acknowledge when someone else has shared. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Leah. I appreciate that. That's helpful. Thank you for that. So I'll go ahead and mute with that. Thanks for listening, everyone. That passed. Hi, this is Iona from Massachusetts. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I wanted to um, just respond to Peter's last question about acknowledging each um, person after they share. Um, I think that would be very dis- – I mean, it's a great thought, but I think it would be very disruptive to the the meeting in the fact that the moderator, um, you know, opens it up for people who want to share on what we've just read and a lot of times there's three or four people that unmute themselves at the same time, and it's hard for the moderator to even hear their names um, of the people who want to share. It would just take away from the time that people uh, would be able to share. So I appreciate your, um, you know, your thoughtfulness in wanting to acknowledge them, but uh, as was mentioned earlier, the moderator does acknowledge them when they share and um, she acknowledges all the readers at the end of the meeting so I think that um, the acknowledgements are there okay so that's all I wanted to add to that thanks it's good hearing everybody hello this is Deborah from Michigan 
And I also find it it's probably more disruptive than helpful because if we all follow that, we'd have 20 or I think I came on the line, there were 65 people. We'd have, you know, one talk and up to 60 people saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the flow so far, I have, you know, we just get on one at a time and, um, you know, that is, and usually acknowledged by the moderator to be the one to speak or to call whoever she heard first and um, and save the, um, you know, we kind of know that, you know, if we heard something wonderful, we certainly can get on and put our two cents in, but an acknowledgement after the, you know, is really not as um, it doesn't help the flow of the things that people want to share, whether it's at the meeting when it's recorded. That's very clear. There isn't any crosstalk. There isn't any, um, you know, it is a, um, and even when it's after the meeting, you know, we're all sitting here blind with our telephones. And um, we just wait for someone to say pass, and then we understand that each of us has the opportunity to do star one and get in and share. And that's usually, it's worked real well. And it may be a little foreign um, compared to a face-to-face -face meeting, but um, it has worked very well. Thank you. Pass. Yeah, this is Peter. I really appreciate the feedback thoroughly. I uh, I may not have, uh, you know, it may have, might have been hard to hear, but yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I definitely want to say though that um, it might be very confusing, jumbled with all of us, you know, our voices all mixed and garbled. Everybody saying thank you for sharing at the same time, but I think that's a joyful, wonderful, confusing sound. So it almost almost like applause, you know, kind of like I think that would be a wonderfully joyful, confusing, um, disorganized sound. So, but yeah, lining up 50 people lining up to thank one after the other, I could see that taking two minutes. But just immediately after the share, everybody just unmuting and that garbled. Uh, people's voices overlapping, thanking. I, again, I think it's it's very joyful and nice. So that's my two cents again. And here I am again, the newcomer here, trying to make suggestions. So sorry, everybody. Hi, Peter. This is Diane from New Hampshire. And I think, you know, you thought your heart is in the right place, but um, like everybody was saying, the flow of the program is works, and um, it's for an hour, and um, we try to get in as many things. In this meeting, we have a lot of people who share such wonderful, wonderful things, and I myself just soak it up, and I want to hear as much as I can every day. And um, 
So if there is someone, you know, that has said something that, you know, you relate to, you can give them a call um, or email them and just tell them how much you got out of what they shared today. And um, and um, I think that will that will work. Have a great day. Thanks very much, Diane. Oh, I want to make very clear that I do not mean during the meeting. Definitely not during the meeting. I'm referring only to fellowship time. Yeah, I just want to make that clear. Thanks. I pass. Hi, this is Iona again. Hi, Peter, um, and anyone else who's still on the line. Um, yeah, I, um, that does make a huge difference because a lot of times when I'm on the meeting here after what we call the parking lot meeting, uh, I wonder if anybody's there. So I have appreciated you coming on and saying thank you because I know there's still somebody on the line. Um, some days I've hung up and I've probably missed some really good shares um, because it's been very quiet. So... Um, um, you know, I would definitely change my thoughts on, um, you know, acknowledging someone after they've shared um, at this part of the this part of the meeting because, as Leah said, this is our meeting now um, to to share what we've read about and anything that's on our mind. So, um, just keep coming back. Just keep coming back and listening. And and if you do have something to share that pertains to what's read, um, you know, anyone can share. So. Thanks again, and have a great day. This is Gloria again in New York, and I just want to say, and Peter, I did understand you meant after the meeting because I've been hearing your voice thanking people. And on every other phone bridge I've ever been on, uh, the parking lot part of the meeting, when it's not recorded, um, someone always does come on and acknowledge it because that's what we do. We hear each other. We're here to listen and to hear each other, and that's an important component in recovery. So thank you, Peter. This is Maggie in California, and... Um, I was thinking that one of the things about the moderator regulating the um, what people say is as a service, and by the time the parking lot happens, the parking lot meeting after the regular meeting, the moderator has put in a full day's work and has set it on towards the other things that they have to do, the other responsibilities. So I think that's why often is said it's our meeting and it's up to us to uh, acknowledge what someone has shared. Anyway, also I would like, Peter, if you wouldn't mind, I missed the first parts of your phone number, and not necessarily that I will call you, but I would like to have that available if I if I could. Um, I got the 3081, but if you could repeat the first digits before that of your phone number, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Yeah, so uh, the first six 
six digits are pretty easy to remember. It's uh, three, four, seven, 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 seven. So it's three plus four, three plus three plus four equals seven, and then three more sevens. The only four digits you have to memorize without any help is uh, three zero eight one. And those are the ones I was able to write down. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you, everyone. I think what's at issue here for me, for my character defects, for my recovery, you know, regardless of how sound my idea might be, you know, it may, the most, it may be the most sound idea and really uh, helpful. What's at issue here is that I'm a newcomer. I'm brand new, and here I am, make, you know, effectively, you know, uh, trying to introduce some kind of a change. So that has caused me no small amount of grief and uh, friction in my relationships. I've actually been banned from a 24-hour uh, 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 line on one of the 12-step fellowships. Um, I don't think that was appropriate for, for me to be banned, uh, but, you know, uh, I guess uh, the, 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 the administrator was not without reason. She didn't do it without reason, but I think, you know, the action was very extreme and uh, probably not correct. But um, uh, so but what's at issue here is just the fact that I could come on here, you know, brand new and start saying, hey, why don't we do it this way, you know? So I can probably see that comes out of my childhood probably, you know, my dad did not socialize me very well. My father did not do a good job of socializing the five of us. Um, you know, my brother was the favorite firstborn. He kicked my brother to the curb when he remarried, when he left us when I was five years old and married another woman. And uh, her son became his first, you know, his favorite child. And then I learned uh, that I could perform in order to be the favorite child. So I would perform. We would hike, hike mountains in the every, uh, you know, in the summertime, we would hike mountains out, out in New Hampshire, the White Mountains. And I would run up the mountain, and my father would just heap praise, shower me with praise. And I learned that I could be the favorite child, but favorite child by just uh, totally, uh, you know, going gangbusters on something. So, um, and that did not, you know, I totally monopolized my father's uh, attention. Uh, I wrote a, an apology letter to my siblings in my adulthood, you know, uh, acknowledging the fact that I had uh, totally tried to monopolize my father's uh, attention, and uh, I paid no mind whatsoever to, to the fact that my that the, the other three, I had three younger siblings, that they were being totally neglected. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, my father's failure to socialize me properly is part of the reason that I am. Uh, that I do come on here with my sharp elbows and, and ruffle feathers. So anyway, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, I pass.
there is still 10 or so of us on the line. Thanks for sticking around, everybody. Thanks for being here again, and uh, I hope to I really appreciate this. Um, again, I, in all likelihood, I would have uh, acted out with food this morning, so really great being here with all of you as an alternative. So bye for now.
think this Peter, I just had to switch over to take another call. So uh, I don't know if anybody might have uh, might have uh, where's the word said. Um, might have called. Uh, might have. Uh, Hello to me or something. So I couldn't find the right wording for that. So uh, I'm starting to fade. So getting ready to turn in. So I think I did actually say say goodbye uh, earlier. So goodbye again. Thanks.